Fans, we just want to tell you real quick that we really appreciate you listening to this show. We've heard from several of you this past week or so, and we just we just love hearing from you. We love doing this show, and we are glad that you're enjoying it. So we really appreciate you reaching out to us uh, to let us know. And just a couple of quick reminders before we get to today's episode, and that is to go to teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Check out all the incredible coaching content that Coach Steve Collins has at teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. And our boy Boy Billy Kegler is absolutely rolling with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Find it wherever you find your podcast, the Competitive Mindset Podcast, and on social media at Competitive Pod. And you can still donate to our guy, Takuma Letsum, during his fight with ALS. If you go to our Twitter page, at 816Basketball on Twitter, you can find a pinned tweet there with more information about his fight against ALS and help support his cause. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a college coach, a high school coach, or even a bunch of coaches that are married to each other. That's right. You know, and Chris, we talk about it all the time. We just we just make history here, the Greatest Games podcast, and our guests today are married. Uh, they have been coaches of, of all levels of basketball. One has even, even been an AD and current AD, so I'm excited to be able to talk ideas and, and learn from one of the best here. But today we have Ashley Saplicki. She is the Rutgers Newark women's basketball coach, joined alongside her husband. I miss Ashley, I'm missing you first for a reason, of course. Okay. Uh, joined by her husband, Phil Stern, who is at the College of Mount St. Vincent. He is the AD and the women's basketball coach. It's a mouthful, but welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, y'all. Thanks, guys. Brian, you didn't even mention the biggest thing. 117 episodes in, and Ashley is? Well, you go for it. I, I don't want to. Our very it. first female guest. Absolutely. Oh, very cool. We wow. have efforted other females, but not, not gotten them. We've had some female coaches on. Uh, we had a guy from Morris Hills, Brian. Was that guy Morris Hills? I believe so. And That's then we had Coach Jasper on a couple weeks ago, obviously. Sorry. You know, I mean, you have to get Coach Jasper on if you're going to talk New Jersey hoops at all. Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty sure we live down the block from him. Yeah, we do. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, now we'll have to get your, your dad on as well, Ashley. Yeah, he would love that. If you have three hours, yes. <laughs> we can do that. We can break this up into three part, four part, six part series. It doesn't matter. Um, but Blas, you're exactly right. We have efforted other female coaches. So coach Saplicki, we are excited to have you as our first female guest for sure. I hope you don't take offense. We asked Dawn Staley first. And she- <laughs> That's all right. That's so, cool. Yeah. We can probably get Rosati on right now if uh, yeah. that'll help. Okay. All right. Well, we will use you guys to get other guests. Yeah. Uh, first, Ashley, uh, and again, since we have two guests, we got to modify it a little bit, but just kind of quickly take us through your coaching journey and how you got to where you are. So I'm from Bergen County, uh, New Jersey, and my dad is a high school basketball coach. And I played for him for three and a half years. I actually started at a Catholic school first. Um, and it was quite an experience. He actually, um, had a heart attack while I was playing for him after I scored a thousand points. Um, so it was, it was quite a senior year for me. Um, I then went on to Rowan university where I had the best four years of my life. It was 
incredible. And I just kind of always knew I wanted to coach my whole family's in coaching. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get a D2 assistant job in Philadelphia at Holy Family University. And we were unbelievable top 10, uh, division two team. It was, it was a great experience. And then I was lucky enough to come home, uh, and be an assistant at Fairleigh Dickinson university where again, I had a great experience. I worked for great people, uh, had a lot of fun. And then I was lucky enough to get a head coaching job in the same conference that I played in. So I knew it was a no brainer. Um, I got to be close to home still and play in a coach in one of the best division three conferences in the country. Now, Ashley, did you, were you at Florham park or were you here at Hackensack? I was in Hackensack. Okay. Um, so Brian, here comes the trivia question. It's a two-parter. Ashley played, it could be a three-parter, but I, you'll get stumped on two of the parts. Ashley played at Rowan university. Okay. All right. The three parts are what did Rowan university used to be known as Mm -hmm. what is their mascot? And which de Blasio attended Rowan University? Whoa, wait a minute. Okay, so I feel like this has come up on the show before. Uh, one of these schools that, uh, oh my goodness, uh, Coach Scott. No, was it Coach Scott, the school that changed, changed names two or three times? I can't remember. I'm not going to battle. No, that was Coach. That was Herb McGee, whose school changed. Okay, that's Philadelphia right. legend. All right, so yeah, have no idea. So please fire away. Well, can you name a de Blasio that went there? Um. You got a one in three chance. I'm gonna go Kara on that one. No, Kyle DeBlas. Kyle did. Okay, Kyle. He attended when it was Glassboro University, and their nickname is the Profs. Yep. Okay. Okay. One of the unique nicknames in college basketball. The Profs. P R. But it's an owl. Profs like professors. Okay. And the owl is the mascot. It's an owl. There are owls all over our house, guys. Phil, why don't you take us uh, through your coaching journey and how you got to where you are with owls all over your house? Well, um, I started way back at Dowling College uh, in Long Island, the Division II school, which is now closed. I was um, going to say, I never heard of it when I read Ohio. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we played in the NICAC conference. Uh, actually, Philadelphia Textile, where Herb McGee started, uh, that was the first game I ever coached for, against the women's team against Tom Shirley okay. uh, back in like 1996. Uh, not that I'm that old, but um, I started back there at Dallin College. Great small school on Long Island. Um, no, we didn't have a gym. Uh, it was just so much fun, though. Uh, a lot of the D2 guys I coached with then, we grew up together and moved to Division One together. It was just an awesome experience. Um, then I moved down. I got a job at the University of South Carolina, Aiken, uh, in the Peach Belt, which, again, like, like Ashley talks about, her D2 conference, one of the best D2 conferences in the country. I moved down there. I'm this crazy guy from New York with this accent. I don't know what they're saying. They don't know what I'm saying. And, I mean, the program was a mess, and we were fortunate enough to turn it into a top 20 Division II program and, and go to the NCAA tournament. And down there, I mean, I thought we were like the Knicks, you know, like we got covered by Augusta, you know, TV and radio and, and, and newspapers and Aiken and Columbia, you know, where you got some of you guys are now. And uh, it was just an awesome experience. And I learned how to play golf. Uh, that was great. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be offered the UNBC job, a division one job up towards New York, where I'm from. And. Uh, I took it, and they were in the uh, – at the time, they were in the um, – what the conference is? The uh, NEC. Northeast, and my first year, you know, we went to the championship game. I thought it was going to be easy. 
Uh, and in April, my AD called me and he said, we're going to the America East. And at the time, the America East was like a top 10 women's conference, you know, Maine, Boston University, Hartford, Vermont, all these schools had it going. And we, we, were, we went 0-16 our second year to start the season. Uh, and by our fifth year, we ended up in the, uh, in the championship game as the seventh seed and won the whole thing and, you know, went and played UConn and had fun for about a minute doing that. Uh, you know, I was taller than Gino. That was about the best part of that trip. But, uh, but you know, spent 17 great years there. And, um, you know, Ashley and I got married four years ago. I'm back up here in New York and uh, loving being in <laughs> well, New Jersey. But loving uh, being an administrator and helping out the whole department and the campus and, and still coaching basketball. Well, Coach, uh, I moved from New Jersey down to South Carolina as well, and I always tell the story. Brian Brian Rosefield was one of the first people I became friends with, and uh, his late father, great the great Dr. Ken Rosefield, would every conversation I had, there was at least one sentence I didn't understand a word in. <laughs> oh, I learned some new words certainly within the first couple of days, and then I learned what I couldn't say to referees very quickly. <laughs> I didn't realize that, Chris, that uh, that dad was uh, at least one be- sentence in a conversation. I I would just say, yeah, you're right, Doctor Rosefield. <laughs> he probably was whatever he was. Saying, he probably was, but uh, uh, maybe. Well, I don't know. Often wrong, never in doubt. Maybe I don't know. But anyway, all right. So so Phil, I'm, I'm going to ask this question of Ashley first because I'm I'm really fascinated about this. You mentioned getting married four years ago, so y'all are both head coaches. You're an an AD five years ago, so. Um, what Ash? I'm going to you. Just just the low hanging fruit here. Tell us what it's like to be running your own program and then be married to a, a gentleman that is also running a program and overseeing multiple programs. Um. All right. So it started with distance. So that was that was different. And I was D1 at the time, and so was he. So we had a lot, you know, to compare. And then it became a Division three coach. Um, He kind of didn't have any clue about that. So that was a little different. Um, Then when he came up here and things got a little bit easier and he became a D3 coach, it was really, really cool to, you know, kind of explain and, and, and bounce things off each other. We're actually playing each other next year, which we think is probably going to be the first time ever a husband and wife play each other. Um, but it, we're very, very different. Um, my style and his style is very different, but I have, um, adopted a lot of his philosophies in the past couple of years, which, which is funny. Um, but watching him be an AD has been really, really cool because he wasn't that when I met him and, and now to watch him run his own program there and really, develop um a new department and everything has been really really fun to watch and he's done a great job well Brian, this is the compliment i've ever gotten from her so thanks guys in five years five yeah. years of marriage brian i think we just got an idea for our first ever live pregame show at the mm-hmm. at the Siplicky Stern Showdown, wherever yeah. whatever date That's that right. is we'll we'll set up in the gym we'll do a live episode before the game there you go Really try to stir the oh, pot absolutely. up too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Ask yeah. Phil if he knows when the anniversary date is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's April twenty second. I just didn't know it was five years ago. <laughs> Phil, talk about making that transition to an AD, but you're also still coaching, and, and the delicate balance you have to do there as an athletic director and a coach. Yeah, it's funny because I took over as the AD during the pandemic. Actually, I was the associate AD, and so. Um, 
you know, I don't know being an AD outside of the pandemic yet, but um, the job is fascinating to me because you're helping all these young coaches go through what you've gone through for the last 26 years. And you're also being able to collaborate and partner with the rest of campus. You know, when you're just, when you're in division one and just running your own program, you're so single-minded, you care about one thing, you know, and you have your, your small staff of four or five people. So for, for me, it's been a joy for me to, to help all these other coaches, to help all the student athletes, give the student athletes a, a really good experience, hopefully a better experience than they've had. And, um, you know, we made it through the pandemic uh, flying colors and I'm really looking forward, uh, you know, to what we could do to move the needle uh, in the future on, 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 uh, on the right place on the river, which is what our new president calls CMSV. We are literally on the Hudson river. It's an unbelievable place. That's, that's cool, Phil. So I, I actually, I'm coming back to you here with this and, and echoing kind of what I've just heard from Phil talking about running a department, creating good experiences for kids. And that's something that I honestly feel I do talk to my coaches about when we, when we have a choice between Wendy's taking our kids to Wendy's or actually a sit down restaurant, let's figure out a way to go to a sit down restaurant. Let's provide them with experiences. Let's get them out of South Carolina. Let's get them on an airplane. Let's get them on a train, get to see other parts of the world. But actually I, I know you are passionate about supporting women's women in sports and also mental health awareness. So how do you, I guess, um, forge that trail for you as a head coach and how can us as administrators help the coaches really forge that trail, if that makes any sense? Yeah. So I think it's hard. I think, um, I, I want to say uh, most administrators in our time are, are men. Um, I think women are creeping in there and it's starting to, you know, be more common, but I think that it is a male dominant profession so I think with me, I really focus on my team and what I can do for them. And this pandemic really brought out a lot, um, you know, everything with the social injustice and the pandemic. And, you know, we, we, we played eight games. Um, Phil didn't get to play this season. And to be able to do that was a mind uh, game in, in itself. So it was really, really tough. And, you know, I kind of just try to be supportive and, and do what I need to do for, for them whenever they need anything. I mean, I get calls at 11 o'clock at night, you know, I tell them I'm sleeping, I'm old, but you know, if they need to call me, I'm there. Um, and I, I think as administrators, it's just giving us all the resources we can. Um, division three is tough because you don't get the things that division two and division one get, um, money wise and, and stuff like that. But I think, I think division three can do a great job because it's such a well-rounded, um, division where you're really a student athlete. So there's so many things on campus that really contribute to helping, um, our team and just taking advantage of all those things is what I kind of try to sell the division three life on because it's so rare to be a student athlete when you're at the division two and division one level, like a real student athlete where you get to have a life besides basketball. So, and I'm, I'm really, I'm truly, I'm asking for selfish reasons. I, I, I love my coaches and they are all great in their own ways. They have gifts and talents that I don't have and vice versa and all that. Um, and I know for me, when I first came into coaching as a 22-year-old hothead, I thought I had 
all the knowledge when it came to basketball. We're going to win state championships, whatever. We went out there and won six games. It's like, what happened? You know, and it took me several years to really figure out like, wait a minute. Yeah, we're, we're training basketball players here. And I, my first job was actually coaching girls basketball. Uh, but more than that, we're really trying to develop and help kids grow through the sport. Yeah. So for you, Ashley, when did that flip really, or was there a flip or did you, did you just show up on day one thinking, Hey, I'm really trying to develop, uh, the, the whole person here. So I think, um, so when I come to Rutgers, Newark, there was a lot of, um, things going on there. Um, they had been left in a bad state. Um, it, it was tough. I was, when I took the job, it was these girls aren't respectful, all those kinds of things. Um, and I remember we went to TCNJ and we lost and two of my girls got two technicals in the game and they were absurd reasons too. So the next day we had practice and, you know, I'm running them, I'm running them and I'm saying, this is not how it's done anymore here. Um, and one of my girls said to me, but coach, this is Rutgers Newark. That's how it is. And it was kind of like, oh no, like that's when it clicked in my head. That's not how this is going to be anymore. And the fact that they thought that that's how it was, was really mind blowing to me. Um, and you know, things that after that things really switched, they kind of got it too that it doesn't have to be this way. Um, and I think that that kind of hit me hard and, you know, I cared more about them than I think they realize. And I cared more about them to be successful in life than what they are in the basketball court. So I think that scenario really helped me put into perspective, like what I was doing here. Um, and it wasn't just let's win the game. It was how can I prepare them for, for life later? I do, Brian, it's really funny. You asked that and Ashley talks about, you know, play not having player or players that were perceived as not respectful. I just saw a thing today about a, a Japanese baseball team that was here in America. It was teenagers and after they lost this championship game to an American team, their coaches had them go in the stands and help clean up. Mm. And I texted one of my coaches and I was like, I think I want our guys to do that next year. Mm. Like, I think yeah. that's something I want our guys to do at away games, go make sure the stands are clean before we leave this gym. Yeah. Um, but Phil, um, along kind of with what, what Ashley's talking about with the mental health and, and you said one of the things in, in your questionnaire that you sent us was talking about the changes in, of the game, but also how the game's coached. And I, and I think like Ashley said, she was running them hard and hard. And it's, maybe that's sort of not how it's done anymore. Mm-hmm. What kind of changes have you seen in that, in the, in the discipline of student athletes over mm-hmm. your time in coaching? Oh, I, you know, it's, it's changed a hundred percent since I, since I started coaching, if you're coaching now, like you did in the mid nineties, you won't last very long. Um, and, you know, the most successful coaches, you know, that like, People know, you know, Jay Wright, Jay Wright. I saw coach in the mid nineties at Hofstra. I was the hitting coach on the baseball team when he took over. And, um, you know, he, he, he's a coach, a, a player's coach, right? Uh, he did it a little differently back then. Uh, you have to evolve. Uh, professional development is very important. We, you need to be spoken to by people outside of your department about uh, mental health. You have to train the mind. It's the one thing that for years we never trained. Uh, you know, you have people telling you what to eat and, and who, lift weights and coach your position, but no one's ever training the most important thing, which was which is your mind and your your mental health. And so if you're going to give the, the student athletes a great experience, which is what we all want to do, then it's not just going to be about winning games. And that's not how it used to be. Uh, and, and nowadays, I think most coaches know that 
Uh, if you don't give the kids a great experience, then at the end of your four or five year contract, if you're fortunate enough to have one, you're going to be gone. Uh, and it's not as much about winning and losing, except at the highest level. And even there, they're spending a lot of money on training the mind uh, and bringing people in to do seminars with their coaches, with their administrators, with their uh, with their trainers uh, and with the players. Uh, so it's just changed immensely. And, you know, it's one of the things I'm trying to do at CMSV is um, do a lot of professional development and. And you don't have to spend a lot of money all the time to do it. You could figure out other ways to do it. But uh, again, if you're coaching now, like you did in the nineties, you're doing it wrong. We have a friend uh, who, we, who we had on this podcast early on, who's been a coach at every level, high school, college, division one through three men's women's. Uh, and he works for a company. I think it's called the positive coaching Alliance. Brian, is that sure. who that works yeah. for? That's right. And, and they do a lot of stuff with that. And uh, yeah. you know, they do incredible work with that kind of stuff, helping professionally develop the coaches about, about yeah, it's really important and that didn't happen years ago and that now it's really important that coaches get trained a lot of young coaches gets just get thrown into the fire and all they know is i'm going to get frustrated start yelling and do what my high school or college coach did and it just doesn't fly anymore but you know like ashley worked for two great coaches at holy family and 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 uh in mark and then at, at uh at fdu and my good friend pete Sanella. uh guys who did it the right way. And, and uh, we have a lot of good friends in the business to do it the right way. And even then it might not be good enough. So Bill, I'm going to follow up with you on that. Cause again, I'm kind of asking for selfish reasons here. Um, being a guy that, that coached early on, just like my high school coach coached me yelling and screaming. And, and I love Eddie Talley. Well, you were that. no good. That's why he was yelling. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No, that was clearly the case, clearly the case. Um, but, how have you found as, as you have evolved, um, how, how have you found the, that balance between, I mean, we're always wanting to hold our kids accountable. We have expectations and I think you're exactly right. You, I, I couldn't go in a gym and start kicking basketballs and yelling and screaming like a madman, you know, anymore. So what are some of the ways that you have found to get the point across to have those high expectations, but as you, as, as you as, have evolved, I can't talk anymore. I'm a podcast host and I can't talk, but how have you evolved as a coach is the end question. Well, number one, you can't coach out of frustration. Most coaches get frustrated and they start yelling. Um, and most coaches haven't uh, coached the kids well enough for them not to make mistakes and do the right thing. So that's part of it too, is are you doing a good enough job coaching them up to put them in the right positions, right? Um, yeah, you're going to coach effort and you might get a little upset about effort, but you can't get upset if kids miss a shot or strike out in baseball or drop a pass in football. That's just going to happen. The kids can't play out of fear. Uh, and you know, as a coach, you learn that the hard way. And that's the one thing you can instill in these young coaches nowadays is it's next play, get on to the next play. And it's, it's hard for coaches to do, believe me. And it's hard for players to do, but you, the coaches have to buy into the fact that, Everything needs to be positive. You have to just coach positively at all times. Look, I'm the first one to tell my coaches, don't yell at the refs, and I yell at the refs all the time. Um, that's ingrained in me. I wish I had someone to tell me, tell me years ago not to do that. Um, but you need to put your players in a, in a position to succeed, make sure they're comfortable, make sure they're prepared, and make sure they know when they fail, they're going to get another chance, and, and you're not going to get upset with them. That's not easy to do. And I wish I did that 15 years ago, but it, it's easy now to help my new coaches, my, my younger coaches do that 
and, and, and I don't want to hear, well, you know, I'm at a certain level and I have to win or, well, doesn't matter anymore. You know, you, you're going to win doing it the right way, probably, or you're not going to be, uh, be coaching. And then you have to give your players ownership of the team. They have to understand that they have a voice. They have a say in what goes on. If you're getting new uniforms, make a uniform committee and let them be in charge of what the uniforms look like. That's great in two ways. One, they have ownership. And two, if the uniforms are ugly, it's their fault. They can't, they can't blame you. <laughs> right. uh, but, but yeah, there's, there's so much that goes into it. And I think the more professional development, you know, the more people you could bring in, the better off your department's going to be. Phil, I, I love that answer so much. I, I want to key in on that fear piece. And I know Chris wants to get to the greatest games here next, but um, that was the way, and I'm not necessarily saying this was the way I was coached, but being a, a fear driven guy, that's how I played. It was just don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake. And I remember, and our listeners may not know this, and Chris knows this, and I'll tell everybody now the, the therapist that I have seen over the years and the therapist that I still see tell me, Brian, coaching through shame and through fear that it's just not an appropriate way to, to, to coach. And it really, it's effective to just this very thin depth, but what you're talking about, the ownership of the team, uh, not reacting, just responding to kids. That's when they learn and grow. And that's when honestly their, their performance goes through the roof in my opinion. And, and, and I'd be interested to hear Ashley or, or Phil, if y'all had any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, if, if kids aren't comfortable, they're not going to perform well. If kids aren't prepared, they're not going to perform well. My high school coach yelled a lot. And I, for years said, well, that's how I learned, but that's wrong. And, and, you know, it takes a while. Uh, Ashley and I talk about this all the time. You know, most, most coaches are education majors. All coaches should have been psychology majors. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, we were not prepared for these jobs. And we were given jobs at young ages for the most part. I know I didn't have a mentor. I was a head coach at 25 years old, I, I, over the years, you know, you form the people that you talk to about coaching, but um, people are just thrown into the fire and um, they're not prepared. And it's not their fault that after five years, they're going to lose their job. Mm. Uh, and so that's part of it too. It's, it's preparing young ladies and young men to coach and to lead. Uh, and leadership is not very good in a lot of places uh, right now. And, and, um, you know, if the leadership in the department or the team is poor, then the student athletes are going to suffer. So true. So true. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. Enough of the heavy stuff, Brian. Jeez, depressing everybody. You know, I was like really fun, Brian. Thank no, you. you know that. <laughs> Uh, so the, as we know, the name of the podcast is The Greatest Game, so we always like to, to get you guys to talk about a, a special game of yours that, that means a lot. And we'll go with Ashley first. Uh, she's going to talk about a game, uh, an NJAC championship game, Brian, the New Jersey Athletic Conference, and we've had coaches on from the NJAC. Who have we had on from the NJAC, Brian? Let's just go ahead and get to the story because you know I'm not going to remember. Christmas. Come on. I mean, listen, I've, I've learned a lot. Division about three New Jersey basketball. Who have we had on? Oh, Chuck McBreen. Coach Chuck McBreen from Ramapo College. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. All right. See, I, I wasn't That's so good. There. All right. So, Ashley, uh, go ahead and tell us about this championship game of yours. So, first of all, it was really hard for me to pick a game. When me and Phil were just talking about this. There's so many, you know, you can pick from, but you've got to pick the obvious one, I guess. Um, so, yeah. So, when was it now? 1819. Um, you know, we were predicted ninth in the conference out of 10. Uh, I kind of knew that wasn't 
what was going to happen. And we ended up being a four seed in the NJAC tournament. We won our first game. Then we upset the number one seed at TCNJ. And then we went on to play Kane and we got to play at home. So that was awesome to begin with, you know, getting to play a championship game at home. Um, the crowd was nuts and we went down early. Um, and we just, we had an all American on our team, Faith Ashby, who's actually from, um, the area where I'm from, who just took over and, you know, she, I didn't know this at the time, but afterwards she, uh, went into the huddle at one point, we had a timeout and she said to the team, we're not losing, which I had no idea. And, you know, she just took over. She had 27 points, I think. Um, we went into overtime, so that was fun too. And it was just like, it was just such a fun game and I'm friendly with the cane coach. So it was nice to play against somebody that you actually like. And, um, you know, I kind of just felt it the whole, the whole time that we were going to win, uh, the practice before I had the girls, um, cut down the, the nets for practice, which I think, uh, our men's team made fun of us for, but then, you know, I kind of laughed at it after the fact cause we ended up winning and it, it was a good, uh, tactic, I guess, in my back pocket that I had, cause Phil told me, and we had, uh, playing the championship game two years before and we didn't do that and we lost. So, you know, I thought I had to bring it out this time, but it was just such a fun game. The atmosphere was wild. Um, and it was just something that had never happened before at Rutgers Newark. So it was really, really cool that we were able to do it and nobody thought we could, and we just believed in ourselves and it was, it was so much fun. Well, first of all, Brian, Faith Ashby, where did Faith Ashby go to high school, Brian? Um, I got to go T-neck. That's it. Teaneck okay. High School uh, Highwayman, baby. All right. There you go. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm from there, Ashley. Uh, yes. I, when I saw the name on the thing, I was like, that was the girl that was at Teaneck. Yeah. Um, so many great things about that game. Cutting down the nets beforehand. People have talked about that. Do you practice that? Do you not practice that? Uh, and it was funny. Brian and I started laughing as you said it. It's got to be, I don't know, 30 or 40 episodes when people talk about their game they talk about some player, and this goes back to what Phil was talking about, some player went in that huddle or said something to the coach at one point, like, we're not losing. Yep. I mean, this is a theme that has come up in so many games that we've done on this podcast. And a couple of times it's been to the coach where they said to the coach, coach, shut your mouth. We got it. You know, that kind of get out of the way, dummy. You know, some of that kind of stuff. But that was great to hear that, that she went in the huddle well, did you find out about that after the game? Did yeah, I did after. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of gave me like the chills a little bit because <laughs> she's not like that aggressive type of player. She's very quiet and just does what she needs to do. And to know that she wanted it that bad was really it was emotional for me. It was awesome. I, I was there. <laughs> I, I was out of my mind first. But- <laughs> It was harder for me to go through that than any game I ever coached. Well, you know, Phil, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you and ask a quick question. This is going to be random because I don't believe, are you guys parents? I don't believe to dogs, right? Brian and I are not parents, but obviously we all know people with kids and, and Ashley played for her father and stuff. And, and people say like watching your kids is more stressful. How was that with a spouse? It was, well, you know, cause I got to watch her build that program. I remember the first game I, I we had a practice and I drove up for her first game, her first year. And I remember going, how are they going to win any games? Nobody's over five foot two. Like I, it was a different world to me. And then to watch them develop and watch her really 
you know, put her system in and be at a point where she can compete in one of the better division three conferences um, and a conference she knows so well was awesome. And then to have an opportunity now to host the championship game, you know, now there's all this pressure now that I was feeling, I don't know that Ashley really was, because she was just having fun with her team. And then, the, and then you have a chance to win. And then, you know, every call is a bad call as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I know who the assigner is sitting up behind me and I'm like, well, you know, what's going on? And, uh, you know, but just, the, you know, that because I knew the feeling of winning that and cutting down the net and also the feeling of losing mm. that and how bad that feels. And I wanted her to have and her kids because they're such great kids to have that feeling. It was just uh, it was probably more fun than us ever winning. Mm. It was awesome. So I, I want to key back in on Faith real quick. <laughs> Did you obviously you heard about it after the game? Had you seen anything like that from her leading up to this game? And then the, I guess the, the, the follow-up question that I have too is, is that something that she is just born with, that her parents instilled in her, that, that you instilled in her? How, how did that happen, I guess, is the, is the question. So she had played really great through the whole playoffs. Um, and she, I mean, she was so good. We were so lucky that we had her. And she was the hardest worker on our team, but she didn't have that like killer mentality till probably that senior year, um, you know, as a sophomore. So she transferred to us. So as a sophomore, she came in and she was probably the best player on our team, but it didn't really show yet. And then her junior year, we weren't that good. So again, nobody really saw anything. And then her senior year, she has kind of exploded and took it all just took it all and played to the best of her ability. And, you know, it wasn't really in my mind that she was going to be that killer, but that game, she just, there was nothing else in her vision. It was, you know, do whatever I need to do. I mean, she stole every ball. She, she made every shot. It was, it was really, really fun to watch. I think it's, I think it's so cool. And I'm, I'm doing a little quick Googling on, on Faith Ashby here. And even one, one of the pictures is her shaking your hand, maybe at the game before the game, I don't know, on the, on the website. And just even just the eye contact that yeah. she has with you, this tells me that she's just yeah. a solid young lady and, and just love to hear a, a great story like that. And uh, I love it. I love it so much. All right. So, Phil, you are now on the stage for, for your greatest game here. So take us through your greatest yeah, game. You know, like you Ashley said, it was, hard to, it was hard to choose from, but – you know, obviously going, uh, winning the 2007 America East championship, uh, against Hartford, uh, against, you know, a good friend of ours, Jen Rosati, who's, a, you know, a legend in, in women's basketball, uh, against their program. That was just unbelievable at the time. You know, we're the seventh seed. We have no momentum. We're three and seven in our last 10, but, we knew that we were going to play Stony Brook in the two seven game and Stony Brook had kind of run it up on us earlier in the year. And I'm a long Island guy. And, you know, I've always wanted to be the coach at Stony Brook and they never hired me. So, you know, I had another, some more motivation there, but uh, you know, Justin Timberlake had just come out with the song what goes around comes around at the time. So our, we had our director of basketball operations loop a video of them running it up on us playing what goes around comes around. And from the second we got on the bus to head up to Binghamton from every meeting, that's all that looped on any TV that we were around. And um, before, you know, before the game, we were the noon game and everyone kind of liked our team and everyone was rooting for us in Binghamton. And I was good friends with Rich Conover, the Binghamton head coach at the time. And uh, I put on the board some fake quotes that I said the 
Stony Brook kids might have said about us prior to the game and their coach. And But we weren't bad. I thought we underachieved a little bit during the regular season. And it was now our fourth year in the America East. And uh, we came out in a zone that we never play. And we just, tried to me- we just tried to mess with people a little bit. And we controlled the tempo, ran the Princeton offense. Nobody likes to play against it. And, you know, before you know it, you know, there's a couple minutes left. And we're going to win the game. And the whole place is rooting for us. And uh, it was really exciting. And we advanced to the, to the second round against Vermont, uh, who, who's got a great young team and uh, had beaten us during the regular season. And, uh, you know, we handled them as well in the semifinals. And now you have this finals matchup against, you know, the best team in the league and a, a team that's been beaten big time programs. Uh, and we were at a point where we knew we could win. And we knew this game had to be in the 40s. Uh, and it was, and, and it started out, we took a nice lead, uh, in the first half. Uh, and, um, we took like an eight, 10 point lead with about eight minutes to go in the game. And I don't know if we made a basket after that, uh, cause we're too busy trying to just take 30 seconds off the clock on every possession. And, uh, lo and behold, our best foul shooter, our best player, Sherry Rohde's on the foul line with about, I think about six seconds left shooting a one-on-one cause at the time there was one-on-one in women's basketball. And luckily, too, you couldn't advance the ball yet in women's basketball. But there's seven seconds left, and she's at the line. There's a timeout. And we didn't even talk about her missing the front end. We talked about what was going to happen. Of course, she misses the front end. The ball <laughs> Now it's slow motion. The ball is rolling to the corner. Two of our guys go after it for some reason. Now they're going like three on two down the other way. And I could see it. They get a handoff. We don't want to foul. Wide open three, and I'm like, that's going in. We're up two. And I'm like, we're gonna, that's how we're losing. And it rimmed out, and our kids all dove on the, at center court. And I just remember looking around at my staff going, holy blank. <laughs> and, uh, and, and again, you talk about great people. Jen Rosati and her staff, her husband, Brian, uh, you know, Sully and Brian Mick, her assistant, couldn't have been happier for us. It was so nice. We stayed on that court celebrating for what seemed like days, uh, <laughs> knowing – you know, I kind of knew where we would end up, <laughs> you know, back in Connecticut against Hartford. Uh, I mean, against UConn in Hartford. Uh, so, but it was just an incredible experience and so many people shared in it. Uh, my parents were there. It was their anniversary. Uh, of course, I didn't get them a gift that year. So that was the gift. Um, and I believe the Hartford Current actually wrote a story on that. But <laughs> just, it was so long ago. But it was now that I'm talking about it, it was, it's like it, I could see the whole thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's great. I would say you stayed in the gym to celebrate because uh, Binghamton in March is gray and rainy all the yeah. time. Well, You've never it's been to gray and windy all the time. In Binghamton. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say most of the year it's gray and windy in Binghamton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was the question? I was gonna forgot the question. I was gonna... <laughs> um, so you win the game, you know, you're gonna play UConn. Uh, oh, I wanted to say Brian and I lost on that rim out, by the way. Brian, he's talking about the three in the air that rims out. Oh, yeah. In the 2006 SEC championship game, we lost on that play. Um, (laughs) uh, So you win this great game, obviously great conference champions. You know you're going to play UConn. What's that like? You know, UConn's a program, especially in women's basketball, but it's like, you know, if you get a 16 seed, you're going to go play Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky. What is that preparation like for that game? And how much do you, we talked about it earlier about experiences. How much do you talk to your kids about enjoying that experience? Well, the whole experience is what it was about. You know, going back, we were the last game on Sunday night. And then the selection show is going to be Monday. 
So we were literally the last two teams playing in the country to go to the NCAA tournament. And then the next day, our school, who had never had a, a, a watch party, has to throw this together. And we have to be really involved because no one knows. They don't know what to do. And so they put the, we put together this great night with the band and the local media and, and everybody. And, you know, it comes up, you know, that we're going to UConn and everyone's jumping up and down. And I'm just like, oh, God, like <laughs> that's going to be fun for a minute. Um, but, you know, it's the best place to go. You're going to Hartford. You're going to uh, the arena in Hartford. You're going to a, a, a full house. At the time, wherever else you were going, there wasn't going to be a full house. So you may as well go there. Everyone knows us in Hartford. They know we just beat Rosati and, and her mm -hmm. team. And we're going to make the most of it. But on our way up, there's like the blizzard of 2007. We get stuck on 95 for 16 hours. Our bus breaks down. I'm on the phone with the assistant from Maryland. He's like, yeah, we're in the charter. I'm like, charter? <laughs> what you? He's like, should we take off? I'm like, I doubt they're going to let you take off. But we're in the bus. Don't worry about us. But... Uh, you know, so we get there like three in the morning, but the experience was unbelievable. You know, 930 at night on ESPN against UConn. You know, we just wanted to get a couple of back doors, which we did. Gino said some really nice things about the program. I got to know him and it was just, you know, it was a dream come true for everybody involved. Well, and what does UConn run now? Yeah, they, they, if you look at them, it looks like they run some Princeton stuff. <laughs> oh, I don't want to send that back to 2007, but, you know. Well, that, that'll be the clickbait for this episode here. You know, obviously, you know, I know we won't say but you know, honestly, you look at the the play by play here, the under 16 timeout, you're down eight to five. Yeah. At that point, uh, is it in the, at the game? Obviously, talking about great experience playing UConn, like this might not work out, but at that moment, walk, girls walking the timeout, it's like, well, we're still in this. Like, let's let's go win this game, or is it what, what's it like in in that timeout there? Just fun. We just tried to make that whole time fun. You know, everything leading up to that was fun. And so the fact that we might have been up a couple of buckets is, was great. You know, I mean, eventually, you know, he called the timeout and probably said, look, if you don't go up 27 within the next minute, like, well, <laughs> hell's going to break loose. But it was just a lot of fun because, uh, because of, you know, you don't get to do first that much uh, in college sports. And, and we got to do that. All right, coaches. So we like to wrap this up on a fun question. If I asked some of your student athletes, if I asked Faith Ashby, if I asked some of the, the young ladies that played for you on that 2017, and I said, what's the one thing coach says all the time over and over again? What would that phrase or saying be? And maybe you could rat on each other because you might, because you guys watch each other coach sometimes. I have it in my head because they do impersonations of me. All they, every kid does an impersonation of their coach. But I can't think what it is that they always do right now. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. What do you have, Phil? Well, mine is definitely do the opposite of the defense. I mean, we're just constantly talking about <laughs> either going back door or getting a handoff. Dribble at through the opposite of defense. I probably say that 500 times of practice. So, <laughs> you know, we're very rep repetitive in what we do. So uh, that's definitely mine. Um, and then probably some stupid things that I, I try to be funny and they think I'm just being mm. corny. That's true. And that um, is the same way with me. So. What does Ashley say, Phil? I don't know. A Ashley's I yell run a lot. Run? <laughs> yeah. Like... She's a little sarcastic. Yeah. 
I she's got a lot that, of her dad in her. Her dad, and by the way, the, the reason we're together is I get along so well with her dad. Like, let's make sure that's out there too. He, he's great. Um, and uh, yeah, she. They, they make fun of me. I stomp my feet a lot, which yeah. I get from my dad. And I actually broke um, a pair of Louboutins in a, a game once. So that might be a good one. <laughs> the yeah. heel stomp. I like it. Mm-hmm. That's a women's coaches thing, I think. I get it from my dad, though. He broke his foot doing it. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, this guy's had a lot of trouble on the sidelines. And He's nuts. He broke his foot, had a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> chipped a nail once. Yeah. <laughs> He's liver or die basketball. <laughs> well, that might be our first uh, physical. Uh, you know, normally, it's, yeah. it's a saying that coaches have. So now, with the, with the foot stomp, I think that might be our first uh, physical motion uh, answer to that question. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate y'all coming on and getting to know y'all. I resonate with a bunch of things that y'all have said, and I really appreciate y'all coming on the show. It's been this this is has awesome. Been great. Thank you Thanks so much. We appreciate it, guys. We'll look forward to seeing you on November 13th. Yeah. There you go. All right. We'll put it on the calendar. You know what's right great now. about that is my basketball season hasn't started yet. Right. Start until Thanksgiving. Yep. Perfect. So I am available. Perfect. You there. <laughs> See you guys then. If I can't make it. You definitely represent the show, Chris de Blasio. But we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. For my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Game.